Okay, this morning, I just want, I just had some thoughts about uh, the, the, the amazing gift that we have in Christ. So when, I, when we understand that, the gift that the Son is, and we have, and we don't know it like we should. We may think so, like when we read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and the world is the mass of humanity, every human being he loves. And we've said, as the scriptures have taught all of us, that he's not willing in Second Peter 3, verse 9, for any to perish. So he has this love. For God so loved every single human being that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, would receive him and rely on him and depend on him, to whosoever, right, would, would what? Not perish. And perish doesn't mean that you would be non-existent, but that you would not have to spend an eternity separated from him. Because we don't believe in annihilationism, which teaches that, uh, that sooner or later, everyone that's not in Christ, that doesn't have eternal life, will be done away with completely. They'll be extinct. And there's many that believe that. But thank God we have the scriptures to teach us the truth. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, wouldn't be destroyed in being separated from him, but would have what kind of life? It says eternal and, we, and the difference between everlasting life and eternal life, these are the things that the Word of God is teaching, teaching us. That we were born in sin, in Psalm 51 and verse 5. We were born in sin. So, that's everlasting life. Okay? We, had, we had a beginning, and, and there will be an end. Okay, We had a beginning. That was the life that we had, which was the fallen nature. Now, so again, eternal life is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, long E, and it's zoe, it's pronounced that particular way because the Greek, they pronounce the Z's like we do in our language with the D and the Z before it. So it's almost like zoe, you pronounce it this way. So I want you to write that down, it's very key. <laughs> the key thing, though, is, is this the eternal life? And the life that we have that the life that God gave us that was of his son was eternal life because his son himself and 1 John 5 verse 11 is that eternal life and through the son that is our eternal life in 1 John 5 11 we begin to know God in John 17 verses 2 and 3 because the father is eternal and what we do know and what we have the gift of God's Son, but in giving the Son to us, He's given Himself to us as a Father. And that's what we all have. He's given Himself to us. Now, again, it's a greatest gift. The greatest gift that God could ever give was His Son. Because in giving His Son, He gave us Himself and the Holy Spirit. He's given us God, and that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, His plan, Jesus Christ the Son, the one that would fulfill that plan, and God the Holy Spirit that would make that in terms of convicting to receive salvation in John 16, 8 to 11 would be the Holy Spirit. And then that Holy Spirit, once we receive Christ, the greatest gift that we could ever receive because it was the greatest that God could ever do. Then that Holy Spirit that was promised to us as that second comforter in John 14, 16, now residing in us in verse 17 of John 14 because Christ finished the work in John 19 and verse 30 and now he guides us, leads us, guides us into all truth in John 16, 13 and 14. It's a great gift. The gift is the eternal life that the Son always was and is in terms of his deity. But in the greatest gift took the greatest humility. 
It was God, the Son, putting on humanity and becoming one with humanity. And we've said before, when God, the Son, put on humanity, he became the Son of God in the Son of Man forever, forever one. Perfect identification. Again, that's brought out in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We have this perfect identification. Again, based on Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. We always have someone to go to. Because he's like us in terms of humanity. Not sinful, fallen humanity, but humanity. With new life. And that's the life that we have. It's a great gift. Now, when Adam fell... And we all fell in him. There are many that would teach it like federal headship. You know, like the federal government, they take precedence over all the states like in our country. Well, Adam was our federal head. So we all would have fallen, and we did, we would have, hadn't any of us in place of him would have done the same thing. And God knew that. So Adam was our first head where we got that everlasting life, which was ruined, unchangeable, helpless, and hopeless. And so we, when he fell, when Adam fell, the first gift even that God gave Adam before he fell was a will, free will. Mm, Think about that. And God would have us to think about that this morning. The gift of free will. See, because in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does what? Forever. He doesn't change in Malachi 3 and verse 6. He does not change or move at all in James 1 verse 17. He doesn't. So God gave Adam free will, a free gift. (laughs) And in the way that he could actually, because of God's will, that gave him that, he could actually communicate back and forth with God based upon receiving, based upon the initiation of God. Then Adam, of course, he fell. Did God take away free will? No. Whatsoever God does, he does forever. God never took away free will. He never did. Because that free will was based upon Jesus Christ, his son, who would come, and in John 4 and verse 34, he would come and fulfill the will of the Father. And so we see this crystal clear in the scriptures. So think think about, God gave us of his own free will the greatest gift that he could ever give us. And in doing so, we got God, (laughs) the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, from his will. Then he gave us the gift of free will. How powerful then, when we think about it, how powerful then is the will of God? Is there anything more powerful? Because God's will has to do with his nature, character, and essence. Not only that, obviously, it's in control. His nature, character, and essence is in control of all of his attributes. And all of his attributes are functioning based upon his character, his nature, his essence. That can never change. That's what makes it. So when we deal with the essence of God, that makes it very essential for us to receive. But even for us to receive the perfection and completion of his will, through his word, which is his son, that would have to take a will. (laughs) And that he gave us. And how powerful then, think about how powerful the potential of our will can be. And can that same will, when it's not submitted to God, can there still be a power that works in that will? And it is, it's called evil. It is. So with that will, we function in one or two powers. One or two. One, of course, that 
that the goodness is in God himself. In Exodus 34 and verse 6, the goodness that's only in him, based upon Matthew 19 and verse 17 and Luke 18 and verse 19, the only goodness there is is in God. And when Jesus was saying that to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was looking at, at Jesus as someone who, who, who he could be equal with according to his own will and meet God's will in Christ, which could never happen. And that's why he said, why do you call me good? And basically what he was saying is, with your own will, you're determining, you're determining what's good in me based upon the good that you think is in yourself. And what is that if it's not God's goodness? It's only evil. But think of the power that he's given each and every single human being that can function properly in it, in that will, to be able to receive the greatest gift that God has ever given. The greatest that God could ever do, he's given us his son. And when my will, which is hopeless and helpless in itself, but still, still, the ability of a gift that God has given me, when that will submitted, to receive the greatest power that there is for all eternity, and that is Christ. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Two things that we absolutely need with, with and, and what we function in when our will is submitted to Christ the only power of God to man. Think of it. Think of the gift of free will. Now, that gift that God gave so that our free will, which would be helpless and hopeless till it was submitted to God's will, which Christ finished in John 19.30. He came to do the to do the will of the Father and to finish the work in John 4 and verse 34. And the whole time his Father was working in and with him with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And we also see the Father with the Son working in that way in John 5 and verse 19. Because without him, he, he couldn't do anything. We know that. He always did those things that pleased him in John 8, verse 29, and in Romans 15 and verse 3, because his will, as in his humanity, was submitted to the Father constantly. And so the reason that God could give us, give us the gift of his Son was first and foremost that the Son that he gave had had to be given to himself. And that's Genesis 22 in verse 8, many times through the word that God has, has taught us as we come together, he's taught us that in the type, Abraham and Isaac, as they went up, Abraham was a type of the father, Isaac is, was a type of the son. And remember, as they went up there, and remember that Isaac was not this little baby, he was having a, a beautiful conversation with his dad, and some believe he was at least in his 20s by that time. And if his dad had him when he was 100 years old, that would make dad 120 and him 20. <laughs> but they both agreed and both trusted God because Abraham answered Isaac, his son, who was a type of Christ, who Christ would be, would come through that seed, remember? He took on him in Hebrews 2 and verse 16. Christ took on him the seed of Abraham. Was it Abraham that he took on? No, because he had a fallen human nature and a will that would go back and forth in terms of obedience and disobedience. But, the, but, but Isaac was created by a supernatural act of God. It was a gift of his free will, God's free will, not constrained by anyone, sovereign above everyone, to give Abraham and Sarah a child that was well beyond their years. We see that in Genesis, the 18th chapter, and we see the beauty of it. We see the absolute beauty of it in the 20th and 21st chapters of, of, of uh, Genesis. And he said this when they were up there. When Isaac asked the question, where is the lamb, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the substitute, basically what he was saying, where's the substitute? And the answer was, 
my, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Think about that. The design that would only meet the, the will of the Father in terms of all his love, his integrity, his holiness and righteousness could only be something that would come from his will and that's the Father and the Son agreed to it with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. What does that mean? It means this, that that was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God in Acts 2 verse 23 where men would think that they were doing God a favor by crucifying the Son, operating in their own will apart from that Son, thinking they were doing God a, a, a service when God himself was fulfilling his own will and propitiation so that his Son, as a gift of his free will, because could God give freely? Could he and could he love apart from his justice, his holiness, and his righteousness? And he could not do that. He couldn't do it. And of course, the enemy, with those wills, the religious crowd, those wills that thought they were doing God's service by killing the body of Christ, in John 16 and verse 2, they thought that they were doing that. God all along was fulfilling his will by the will of his son. (laughs) And so the father gave the son, and the son gave himself to the Father, and out of that proceeds the Holy Spirit. All God, not holding back. And so when God gave us His Son, He gave us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, wonder it says that we're complete in Him, perfected and completed Him in Colossians 2 and verse 10. So those that said, not this man, in John 18 verse 40, the religious crowd cried out, not this man, and cried out, murder him, crucify him, in John 19 and verse 15, their will, apart from submitting to Christ, was functioning under what? The evil power of the enemy, Satan. Thank God we have this free will. And thank God, with that one choice, when we couldn't do anything, when the hand of God, through grace with his Son, who's the fullness of it in John 1 and verse 14, reached down. We, with our free will, could only just reach up and those two wills meet forever, never, ever, ever to be separated again. Eternal destiny, complete, finished, done. Completely done. And so we see this very, very clearly in the scriptures. Now, when we look at this, There are many, many, many voices. And so when we look at this particular chapter here in the 14th chapter of Corinthians, this is for, this is God speaking to Christians. This is God speaking to those that are in Christ. And when I submit my will, which has no power in and of itself, my will is powerless until it submits and depends upon Christ, who fulfilled the whole will of God and is the very power of God. That's why when it's said, this is why God, this is the thing that we fight more than anything. We fight being weak. We are weak in Christ so that we can be strong. Joel 3.10, let the weak say. Let the weak say, I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. When I am weak, I am what? I am strong. He sends us grace. For every single area, he sends all kinds of grace that we need and we cannot do without. And there are no adjustments made apart from grace. And that's Psalm 68 and verse 28. He sends these, all these, these gracious truths and power that come through his son to us. And so here we see this very, very clearly, very, very clearly in the Bible. We see in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, it says this, and he's speaking to the Corinthians who were given the gift of the son. They were positioned in him, but in their experience, their will was not submitted to him. And as a result, they were functioning in a power. What kind of power was it? It was an evil power that would resist 
Christ that would be deceived in Revelations 12, 9, and that would live in accusations. In Revelations 12, verse 10, did you ever notice when our will isn't submitted? If we're not going forward, what do we go back to? Being deceived and living in all kinds of denial. That's, what, that's how we live. And again, in Romans 8, 9, we have this flesh that's in us, but are we of it anymore? No, and thank God for the, the sword that is the word in Hebrews 4.12 that separates self-conscious living with an unsubmitted will versus God-conscious living through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing in the reality of Galatians 5 and verse 16, walk in the Spirit under his control, submit, walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, that power, that evil power that works in us, and remember that always sin is more, was more powerful than what? What is sin more powerful in us when our will isn't submitted? Than our will. Than our will. In Romans 7, 18, I know that in me dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but to how to perform that, I find what? I don't find it. Why? Because there's no power. Because the will hasn't been submitted to Christ. See how powerful? Just think of the will that he's given us. That it has an option. Which power? Which power do you, would you uh, choose to submit to? You can't have two masters in Matthew 6 and verse 24. You'll love one and hate the other, or hate one and love the other. And so again, there, it brings out here in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and he's teaching the Corinthians, and he's teaching us these truths. And, and in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 6, it says, Now, brethren... If I come unto you speaking with tongues, and again, tongues here is not an angelic gibberish. Let me make that clear. We need to make it clear. And when you see in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, and when you see, and I see this, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13 and 14, the word unknown is italicized. The reason it's italicized is it's an interpolation. An interpolation is it was put there for lack of something better or it doesn't belong there. In this particular case, it doesn't belong there. Because the tongues here is the Greek word glossolalia, and it's known foreign languages. Furthermore, when you saw angels, and you'll see them, and when they spoke to Daniel, and when they spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelations, did they speak gibberish? No, they spoke a known language. This is crystal clear in the scriptures. Okay? Very clear in the scriptures. So this is what it says now in verse 6 of, of 1 Corinthians 14. Now, brethren, see, born again, that's the context. If I come unto you speaking with, with many different languages, what will, I, what will I profit you except I speak to you either by revelation? So notice that. This truth, this is the written word, but it's not a revelation of Christ until the Holy Spirit takes it. And that's why he's given to us the Holy Spirit. We have that unction in 1 John 2.20. And then we don't have any need that any man separated from Christ would teach us in 1 John 2 verse 27 because we have the anointing and the anointing is the Holy Spirit himself. Okay? And, and the Holy Spirit is not limited and has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. <laughs> Boy, we need to get that one crystal clear. There's now 26 or 27 different manifestations of the Holy Spirit as an anointing. No. There's only one Holy Spirit. And what he does is make known to us the things that are ours in Christ. That becomes a revelation or a specific rhema, R-H-E-M-A, a specific truth that may be written, but when I submit my will, when I pray, when I ask for wisdom in, J in James 1.5, then the Holy Spirit takes that word and makes it a personal experience. See, it takes the Holy Spirit to take the written word to make it a life-giving force in Christ, the Holy Spirit. And so when it says this here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6, Brethren, if I come unto you speaking with, with many different languages, what will it profit you, no matter what the language is, except I will speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge? Okay, Knowledge we need to have. Knowledge we need to have. But knowledge in itself becomes destructive when the will isn't submitted. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. We don't know anything like we ought to know. 
We don't. But we only know it when we function in the love of God that gave us the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit that brings that love into a personal experience. And so here it says, if I speak to you either by revelation or knowledge, knowledge is great. But until it's a revelation, a personal, intimate experience, oh boy, what do we lack? But that takes a submitted will. That gift that God's given us. So I give, I submit my will, the gift that he's given me, so that the gift of his son can flow in my will. And I have power. That power keeps out what kind of power? The evil power, the enemy. Bad thinking. Reasonings that aren't from him in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4, and specifically verse 5. We cast down. What? Imaginations, these reasonings that have to do with an unsubmitted will. That's in, that, that has gained control. The enemy has captured my will in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. And can he do that to believers? Yes, when my will isn't submitted to him. That's what brings out the clarity of teaching in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. The servant, the true servant, the true worshiper must not strive. That's the will, unsubmitted. That's functioning in the flesh. Even leaders, pastors, doesn't matter. Christians, all of us. But be gentle, apt to teach, highly skillful in the word of God. Now that's specific in terms of pastors and teachers, yes. But where does the skill come from? Fleshly will? No. The only power that it comes through, Christ. So that we no longer oppose ourselves. See? Because one will is the evil power causing us as believers in Christ to oppose ourselves to God. Because what? Romans 8.31, is God for us? Can he be anything other than for us in Romans 8.31? What's the proof? Well, he gave us his only son in Romans 8 and verse 32. And if he, if he gave us his son, will he not also give us freely all things? Yes. How? Through submitted will a humbled will, a dependent will. And when I am, he gives me the grace to allow that love, that power to flow in and through me. In me and to each other so that we can have a fellowship based upon a power, the power that comes to us in our will when it's submitted, which that will isn't. We see that in in Romans uh, 7 and verse 21. For the will is present with me, 18 to 21. We see it there, very clear. When I would do good, Romans 7, 21, when I would do good in an unsubmitted will, what's always present with me? The power of evil. The power of evil, see? And that power of evil begins to declare to me, when I am in Christ positionally with a proper image, to bring into my experience an image based upon an evil power. Oh, God. And it's not who we are in him. Not at all. And uh, so again, here, and as we begin to tie this up like only God, the Holy Spirit can do as we all rely on him in the same place, equal in the same place of relying on him. Brethren, if I come unto you speaking with, with tongues and languages, what will it profit you except I speak to you either by revelation and, or by knowledge or by prophesying, preaching, or by teaching. And even things without life. Think about that. Even things without life. Okay. What are the things that are without life, listen, that give sound? Give a powerful sound. What is that? Well, the things of the world. 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world that he's trying to convince, the enemy tries to convince the Christian by an evil power, you need this or this thing or that thing in place of Christ to keep you in an unsubmitted will so that you continue to function in bondage. And instead of being a slave, freed slave to Christ in Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1, he keeps you, he keeps himself in your experience mastering you. Can't touch your position in Christ. But he wants to master you and keep you a slave in bondage. That's John 8 and verse 34. He that sins has been mastered is a slave to sin. And, and, and as, as Christ already said, is free positionally. 
Yes. Now he's working it in experientially. Why? Because we have that option. He never took away free will. Never. He didn't do it. He never violates free will. That's why Jesus stands at the door of the believer in, in Revelation 3 and verse 20. He stands at the door of the believer and knocks on the door, the free volition. You have to let him in, submit. And when you do, you submit. Christ is, comes in. Now you have fellowship based upon oneness, the oneness that can only happen through the power that Christ is. In you and I, as individuals. So even in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 7, even things without life give sound, whether pipe or harp. You notice how it says that, pipe or harp? Do you know that when Cain went out from the presence of God in Genesis 4 and verse 16, and remember that whole world system, listen, the world that we're in but not of, in John 17, verse 16, we're in it but we're not of it. That whole world system that we're in right now was built upon the murder of, and hatred of God, hatred of Christ. Then you'll see his sons, how they created musical instruments, and, were the, and all that they did, all their music and that sound of many voices in music was to keep out Christ in their experience, to keep him out, to drown him out, make him religious. Yeah, religious man. Killing the body of Christ and thinking he's doing God's service. We're going to talk about the insanity of an unsubmitted will. The absolute delusion of it. That we can do anything without him in John 15, 1 through 5. But to think that, you look at it in Genesis 4, 16, right to verse 22. The whole world system is built upon that. That's the many voices. See, that's what, it's one thing, love not the world, you know, as we can see it, evil. But, but it says the evil, right? The evil things we wouldn't dream of doing. But then it says the things of the world. Neither the things of the world. And for the Christian, they can be even more, and usually are way more dangerous, because they replace Christ, no matter what it is. And so even things without life give sound with a pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, the tunes, how will it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to battle? What preparation is there for us? What power do we have without a submitted will? Constant dependence, as best as we can as we grow in grace and knowledge in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to the battle? So likewise you, except you, utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. What makes the word so easy to be understood? What makes it so easy? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30? Come unto me. Come unto me. Who? Me. Things of the world? No. The things of the world first and forget him. The easiest thing to do is to forget him. The hardest thing can be to get back into fellowship with him. We'll never be out of our position. He'll never stop loving us. But the enemy will do everything he can and use the things of the world to keep that love from being in us and exchanging it in an intimate fellowship with him. Again, so likewise you, except you utter, Words, easy, easy, easy to be understood. And really, it says significant. What makes it easy? Come unto me, all you that labor. What causes us to labor and to be heavy laden? Going after things that aren't him with an unsubmitted will. Thinking that this thing can bring me what I need when the only need that I have is Christ himself in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, 4.13 of Philippians, because he's my only need in Philippians 4 and verse 19, meaning I can't even enjoy the things that he's given me, okay, that he's given me without him. Because I can't be in control even of what he gives me. <laughs> he has to be in control of it. That's how much he loves us. Because the control is the love that becomes so easy for us to leave. In Revelation 2 and verse 4, I have this against you. Not somewhat, strongly against. God is strongly against the flesh. Because it is that that's in the believer, in Romans 8 verse 9, that they're not of, that allows another authority to come in 
and replace Christ. And that thing that becomes in competition with Christ in 1 John 5, 20 and 21 is an idol. And an idol is anything that I allow in my life through an unsubmitted will to be the thing that competes against God for me. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us, right, as we grow. Well, how will it be known? How will it be understood? How will it be known what is spoken? For you will speak into the air. Who's the prince and power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2? Unsubmitted well, we can only function under him. It's all we do. Now, the truth is this. There, there are, it may be, in 1 Corinthians 14, 10, it may be so many kinds of voices in the world. Oh, God. So many kinds of voices in the world. This will satisfy you. That will satisfy you. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go here. You need to go there. You need to rely on this person. You need to rely on that person. Looking away, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, from all those distracting voices, looking unto Jesus, because he's your beginning and he's your end. He's the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, and in 22 and verse 16 of Revelations. But here, this is what it says. Many kinds of voices are in the world and none of them is without significance. And every one of those voices, if it's not the one voice of the shepherd, in John uh, uh, 10, verses 3, 4, 14, and 27, if it is not that one voice... You have many voices against that one voice that is for you. Many voices. Many, many kinds of voices, and none of them without significance. None of them. They have a purpose, an evil, powerful purpose. Evil. And we can see that. Remember what Jesus even said in, in Luke, and I believe it's 22 in verse uh, 54, now is, is, the, is the day of your power, your evil power. Yeah, their evil power to crucify Christ brought out the most unbelievable power of his love <laughs> on Calvary. That he did for us. They thought, they thought they were getting rid of God in the form of humanity. See, they, the religious crowd never had a problem with God until he put on humanity and faced them. And we will have a problem with God. Did you ever try to face, do you even want to face him in the flesh? Do I? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So here it says this. Therefore, in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 14, therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I will become unto them that speaks like an unsaved person. That's a barbarian, by the way. We'll speak just like an unsaved person. When do we speak like an unsaved person? When we're in the flesh. Because what's the difference between my flesh that I'm, that's in me that I'm not of in Romans 8, 9 and the unsaved world? Do you ever notice it when we don't go forward with a submitted will and obedience know, and knowing the things that we should do and when we don't do them in James 4 and verse 17, what do we do? We go back just like the world and you, you become more comfortable with the world than you do with Christ. You become very uncomfortable with the light when we live in darkness. You see that in John chapter uh, 3 and verse 17 to 21. Light and darkness. Then we end up putting, we put light for darkness, darkness for light, good for evil, evil for good, bitter for sweet, sweet for, for bitter. We make all these confusing, confusing reasonings because of the unsubmitted will. But thank God, instantly, because he didn't take away our will, we can instantly, with that will, by grace, confess it. In 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and what? Just. He's faithful in his love because he's just. His justice has been met by Christ. That's our confession. That I'm no longer my sin in Romans 7, 17 and 20. It is no longer I, even I, that do it. But that sin that's still in the flesh that I'm not of, you see? And it's not by works. And hopefully we'll get into uh, uh, Galatians. When we get into the book of Galatians, we see, just like the book of Galatians, where the, where 
the legalistic crowd would, would come in and when Paul would go into an area, he'd preach the truth. Their wills would submit. Then the enemy would raise up his with an evil power to get them away from Christ right back into the law. And when you get back into the law in the flesh, trying to do good, what happens? You live just like the world. You live just like the world. We all know that, don't we? Oh, we don't want to know it anymore, do we? As best as we can as we grow. All of us. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I will be like unto him that's unsaved, and he that speaks will be, you know, the misery that my company desires. <laughs> and, vice, and vice versa. Even so, you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, what? See that you excel to the edifying of the church, each other. Now, we're going to see this. This is what God has to teach us through the Word. This is what makes it so vital, as best as we can, to concentrate. This is what makes it so very vital for us. These, these times when we get together are extremely vital. Because he has to show us, he has to show us what has attached itself to our will that's not of his fulfilled will, Christ in us. See? He has to show us. Because those many voices are, to, are those things that motivate, those many reasonings are the things that the enemy wants us to be attached to in our thinking. So that we don't have a proper experience and a proper image. What does he have to do constantly through the preaching and teaching of the word? He's constantly having to renew us in Ephesians 4 and verse 23 and in Romans 12, 1 and 2, so that we're not conformed to the world. How does he do that? We have to be undone from the self-life with an unsubmitted will through the only one in us who's done it, and that's Christ. And the only one sacrifice of Christ. We either are undone from self and one with Christ in us, or we become undone from him experientially in the flesh. What does the flesh do? It keeps out Christ from the only true experience that is proper in the Christian life. It's Christ in each vessel, victorious, more than a conqueror, in Romans 8 and verse 37. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, that's what Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. What are we to take on us? Take what? My yoke. My yoke. What is my yoke there? It's all the circumstances and situations that he's designed to constantly keep us coming to be yoked up to him and not yoked up to the enemy through an unsubmitted will. See? That's what he's doing with all of us. So again, he even said, remember what he said, God said to Israel, and we learn from them in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, we learn from, from as we look back and how God was dealing with them and how they dealt with him, through the prophet Hosea to a backslidden nation, he said, my people, my people, they're mine, I love them, my people that I love are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And remember, it wasn't because they, didn't, they lacked it. It's because they had it but didn't submit their will to it. Then they become destroyed in their experience. The whole image is fractured. Never changes. He never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7. That's the little man. That's who we are, right in the middle of God's pupil. His sight is Christ, right in the middle. You see that in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10, Psalm 17 and verse 8. Very beautifully brought out in Zechariah 2 and verse 8. We're the apple of his eye. He never removes his eye from the righteous. So there's many, many voices, and those many voices have many things that, that in this evil power desire to attach itself to our will. And what does that do? That blocks a proper experience in all of us. So again, he said, my people are destroyed through, through a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected me from being king, you won't reign. 
You'll never be able to reign properly with an unsubmitted will. This is what makes the word very necessary to hear it and to hear it and to receive it as best as we can on a very consistent basis. And so thank God that we can still do that. And what a privilege we still have. He also said to the type there in Ephraim, in, in Hosea 4 and verse 19, he said, My, he said, Ephraim, his wings are caught up in the, in the wind. And the wind is the, is the enemy, and the enemy that, t- that wants to take our wings, right, our prayer life, away from him and get us caught up in the wind. See, because what is prayer always teaching us? It's always teaching us dependence, constantly. It always teaches us dependence. Pr- prayer teaches us this is the place where we need to go, get in his presence, be still, in Psalm 46, and know that he's God and allow him, through his thoughts, through his desires, in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Once he does, that'll be the power for you to commit your way, roll all the responsibility of all, every circumstance and every situation is designed for you to roll it on Christ because he desires intimacy with you and me, in Psalm 37, in verse 5. So he said they're caught up. There are many voices, many attachments, many, many attachments, and that's what makes it necessary. In Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your mind. Result, you will not lean to your own understanding. All those other voices. And none of them are without significance. The thief, the significance of the many voices as opposed to the one voice, Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy in John 10, 10a. But Christ has come that we might have life. We have that, don't we? Each of us in our own individuality, that treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that treasure that's in us. We all have that, that he might... that. He came that we might have life. And then what's of the abundant life? Fellowshipping with each other. Giving each other, each other's portion. And then getting in God's presence, losing the thoughts of the self-life. Everything's about me, my circumstances, my situation. You lose yourself in beautiful humility. You get in the presence of God. You rest. And now it's Him. And when it's Him, it's others in freedom. So beautiful for all of us. And uh, thank God we have so many examples. Well, we have the potential of, of the evil of the unsubmitted will, the, 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 the power of Satan in the will, that darkness, that evil power and hatred and resistance of an unsubmitted will that's very subtle. The flesh in us is very subtle because of where it came from in Genesis 3, verse 1 through 6, the lying, the subtle, the subtleness, the subtlety that tells us you don't need God, you need this. You don't have to rely on Him. He's waiting for you to rely on yourself. After all, He did all this. The least you can do is nothing. (laughs) It's a great place. And so, again, but we also have the potential of an abundant life in our experience. God's very breath, his very speech, his very breath has given us this new life, this new, beautiful life. And that life is the power with a submitted will that keeps the will of the flesh out. And we no longer go by the law. And when we get into, when we get into uh, the book of Galatians, they got saved. Paul taught them. And there we're waiting, those that were functioning under Satan with unsubmitted wills, they were waiting for Paul to leave. He would leave after teaching truth, and they would come right in and to reteach them to get them back away from Christ. Same thing in Hebrews. Constant, constantly the enemy trying to get us back. Through what? Love not the what? The world. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. Yeah. Does the world have its music? Yes, it does. Read, read Genesis 4, 16 to the end of the chapter. 
doesn't make us think what we listen to. It doesn't make us think of Christ and worshiping him. If it doesn't, what kind, of, what kind is it? It's of the world to keep Christ out of the experience. That's how it's designed. And a lot of times, unfortunately, and I believe there is godly worship and godly songs, yes. But I also believe there's a lot that isn't that's called that. <laughs> there's no question about that. But thank God we, can, we have the guide of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to keep us in a place where he can just love us. He so loves every one of us. That doesn't change. His will, his will doesn't change. It's been completed in Christ, in each of us as his vessel. So Father, thank you for this beautiful truth, the beauty of what we have. And Father, that even when we fail, thank you, we're not our failures. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, that all of us, I thank you, Lord, I personally thank you that I am not my failures. I am not my sin. And when I'm in your presence, only in your presence, I can hate what you hate. All you that love God in Psalm 97 and verse 10, all you that love hate evil. You hate it, and we do. And sometimes we fail even in what we hate. And God is humbling us and teaching us, teaching us to just... Be patient and continue to go forward. Be patient. Love is patient. And he has to work these things into us. But he has to work us out. He must increase in John 3.30. But I must decrease. Thank you for your love, God. Your patience is so incredible. Your love for us is so deep. Thank you that even when we do fail, even when we do fail in Deuteronomy 33 and 27, you are underneath the bottom of what the enemy considers to be, you're at your very bottom, it's over, but yet you are underneath the very bottom of our bottom. And in Micah 7 and verse 8, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, God forbid, but when I do, he's still the light that loves me, that's leading me and always leaving a way open for me to come back to him. Back to the depth of his love for us is brought out in the, in the uh, prodigal, uh, in the uh, parable of the prodigal in Luke 15, 11 to 22. Thank you, Father, for your so great love. And that love has to do with your full thought, and your full thought is Jesus Christ, the very word in John 1, 1. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.